Amen. Would you stand with me if you're able or you can remain seated? We're going to worship the Lord this morning. I just want to say a word of prayer. God, we're just so grateful to be here in your presence this morning. And if we're not, we just ask that you would help us to be. God, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather together with our brothers and our sisters, to be encouraged, to be edified by your word, to receive from your spirit. God, we want to enjoy this moment to make the most of this opportunity as we gather and we worship you together, not just as we do in our day-to-day lives, which is amazing, but we have this beautiful opportunity to worship with our brothers and sisters. Help us to appreciate that, to feel how precious that is, that there are those who don't have that opportunity. There are those who take that opportunity at the risk of their own lives. So we're here this morning to worship you together as a community, as a body. And Lord, we know that we come with many distractions, many burdens, so we need your help. Help us to fix our eyes on you this morning, that when we sing these words, we wouldn't just be going through the motions, but we would be internalizing what they mean that we would be thinking about what we're singing, that you would be impressing on us the truth of these words. Most of these are taken from your word, based on truths from your word. And as we sing them together, Lord, let them become true in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. We're so grateful. Amen. Let's sing together. Every word, every whisper 
I forgot the call to worship, didn't you? I didn't. I just moved it. I'm not going to comment on whether I've done that before, because I have. So I'm going to read this call to worship for you from Exodus chapter 34. This is known as the Yahweh Creed. It is the, the way that the Lord described himself when he passes before Moses. It's repeated throughout the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible. It is very interesting for us because it portrays both aspects of God's character. Let's read it together. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name, the Lord. In the Jewish Bible, it says, Adonai. The Lord passed before him and declared, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed down to the ground and worshiped. We can accept the tension here. There are aspects of God's character that we love, and there may be some things in our modern Western perspective that are hard to accept. But our God is both merciful and gracious and loving and faithful, but he is also just and righteous. And we can choose to take comfort in that, knowing that the evil in the world will not be here forever, that he is working, and he does not just eliminate guilt for what is evil, but we also can't read this 
without reading it through the lens of Jesus, that this God, the Lord, who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, emptied himself, came as a man, and died for the guilty, taking upon himself the iniquity and the sin of the parents, of the children, of the children's children. The guilt that belonged to us, Jesus took it. And in our place, he received our punishment. Amen. We should be the happiest people in Belleville right now. You guys, he has done it. Amen. We're going to sing this next song is about the blood of Jesus. And I want you to think that in your mind as we're singing it. How blessed we are. We deserve punishment. But instead, we've been given mercy and love and grace because of the gift of Jesus that is offered to everyone. And we can take comfort in our God who is just and righteous, but he is merciful and loving and gracious. Amen. Let's sing this together.
on that lovely high note. You may be seated. Amen. I want to do something a little different in this moment, um, but I'm going to ask you to limit, um, just bear with me on this. So would anyone be willing to just in one word, a one word testimony to just shout it out and share with others how God has been good to you and how God has been ministering to you? Just one word. A one-word testimony, just shout it out. Does anybody have anything? Peace. Peace. Amen. Faithful. Dazzling? Family. 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 I was going to say dazzling works. (laughs) Family. Yes. Amen. Amen. Saved. Yeah. Merciful. Grace. Amen. Patience. Okay, I see you, Ron, (laughs) challenging us with that testimony. Patience. Amen. What's that? Abundance. Joy. Amen. I felt that joy today. Love. Love. Hope. What would we do without that hope? Why are we here if we don't have hope? I hope you have hope today. Otherwise, I don't know what we're doing here. Anybody else? Peace. Amen. Forgiven. We are forgiven. Power. We serve a powerful, mighty God. Friendship. Amen, Violet. I adore your friendship and the friendship of you all. Amen. Community. I'm thankful for my community. Church family. Yeah. I hope we're thankful for one another. Anybody else? Unchanging. Amen. We live in a world that is constantly changing, but our God never changes. He is steadfast and steady and dependable. Amen. Humble. I praise God that we can gather in this place and that every day we wake up and we meet with our Lord, that he is giving us new mercies. And so my prayer is that whatever your one-word testimony was today, that you could do it again next week and the next and the next, and and that you would even have enough, uh, so many words that you don't run out of things to say because that is the God we serve That is the God who loves us, and he pours out his his mercy and love. It's new, it's ever-flowing, it never stops, and it's always enough to meet us right where we are. And I hope you feel challenged this morning. The the purpose behind that is, is that we are aware 
of, of everything that Nikki shared this morning as, as she's leading us in worship and, and is helping us to be intentional about why we're here, about why we're singing these songs, why we are, are here to worship. And I want you to be able to articulate in, in ways that are personal to you, to what you've seen, to what you have experienced, these truths. Does that make sense? I want you to be able to tell others about what God has done for you and how God has been good to you and how God has been faithful to you and what God is teaching you and what God is showing you. We need to make it a habit to share that with others, both those who are here in this place and those who are out there. And so I, I, I just, I hope that that helps you to see this morning. And maybe there's some of you who who didn't know what to say. I want to hold space for you. You're just struggling. You, you believe these things about God, but you're not really sure what, what he's doing currently in your life. I hope, my friend, wherever you are, whoever you may be, that you can hear these testimonies from your brothers and sisters and you can see the ways that God is actively at work and the ways in which Jesus is moving in their lives and that that will help you to keep your eyes on him and continue to wait upon the Lord who will renew your strength so that you can be the one that testifies, that says these truths about God and your words will lift someone else up who is struggling to see and to name who God is and what God is doing at this moment. Amen? Let us be able to hold each other's hands up when we are feeling tired and like we just can't do it anymore. So would you pray with me this morning? Holy God, I thank you for each testimony, one word testimony that was shared. To be honest, I don't know where that came from or why I did it just felt like it's where your spirit was guiding us. And so God, I pray that that was used to, to only to glorify you and to remind us of all the ways that you are at work in our lives. It's not the same for everyone. You're moving at God's speed in each of our lives and you're helping us to flourish and we're all in different places, but God, one thing remains the same, that you are good, you are faithful, you are a God of abundance, you are a God of peace, you are a God of stability, you are a God who loves, you are a God who is merciful, you are a God who has forgiven, you are a God who has saved, you are a God who has provided us with family, you call us into your family, you are a God who has given us the gift of friendship, the gift of community, the gift of our church family. You are a God who has given us joy and love and peace and patience. God, you're always working to give us more of your patient, long-suffering, enduring, redeeming love. And we say, thanks be to God. 
You are good. You are always moving. You are always working. You are drawing us closer to you here and now. You are calling us out of our, of our routines, out of our, our, our stagnant ways, God. You are calling us to step out in faith and in love, to worship you without holding back, to give you all of our hearts without holding back, to go out into the world and to pour ourselves out, being the love that Christ has shown us without holding back. And God, we know that you are enough, that you will help us to do that which you have called us to do. And we can show up here tired and weak and weary. That's okay. We can acknowledge that, that for some, this is the state in which we are present this morning or tuning in online this morning. But God, you are so faithful to meet us where we are, wherever that may be. You are faithful to fulfill us and to fill us, to quench our thirst, to wake us up, to reignite our flame. God, you are faithful to pick us up and to help us carry on, to put one foot in front of the other, to fix our eyes on you and to remember and to remind ourselves of how you have called us to be faithfully present before you and therefore before one another. God, may the word of our testimony be a reminder of how faithful you are. So none of us are, are just saying you're faithful just to say you're faithful, but we are, are acknowledging and calling out the ways in which you are faithful. And you will be tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. God, I thank you that you never leave us. You never give up on us. You never abandon us. You never turn your back on us. You too may grow tired and weary of, of, of where we are, but you continue to pull us along and carry us along with your strength. God, you are enough. We need you. God, we need more of you. Holy Spirit, would you continue to fill this place with your presence and with your love? Would you continue to give us hope? Would you help us through the reading of your word to see the hope that we have? The hope that can help us to, to be the church, the bride that you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, would you continue to comfort those who are, are mourning today? Would you continue to draw near to those whose hearts are heavy and, and those who are carrying heavy burdens? You know them. You see them. You care about them. God, would you help them to know that you are present right here, right now. And you will continue to be present. 
I thank you for the ways that you have moved in this place this morning, the ways that you have moved in our hearts. And I pray that we can continue to to open up our hearts to you through the reading of your word. Holy Spirit, would you anoint these words? Would you give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see? God, we thank you. We love you. We continue to glorify your holy name. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you. Well... Today, we have reached the end of our uh, six-week summer sermon series called Godspeed. I regret to inform you that we are still very much in the thick of summer, and so even though this summer sermon series has ended, summer still has a long way to go, and we feel that all too well this week, right? Uh, But this does bring this current uh, series to a close Um, I debated on whether or not to kind of quickly recap kind of what we've talked about each week, but for some of you who have not been here, um, here, here's the thing. I asked you to be faithful in one word, uh, one testimony, or to, to respond with one word, rather, and so I'll try to keep it down to like one word of theme for each week, which was easy to do because they were kind of built that way anyways, okay? So we won't preach two sermons, what we've already preached and then what we're going to preach again. Uh, but the first week, we talked about place, okay? Place. Where are you? Where has God placed you? And are you being attentive to God and to where you are? I know, I'm breaking the rules, but I'm trying to stay as close as I can to that one word. The second week, we talked about presence. Presence and this declaration of here I am. Saying, here I am to God, I'm present. And here I am to you, to my brother and my sister. To you, I am also present. It's this week that we really started to pick up on that theme of knowing and being known, of allowing ourselves to know and to be known. The third week, we talked about pace, pace, and and acknowledging the unhealthy pace that that we uh, typically live and that the, the unhealthy pace in which we are going, right? We talked about how God's speed, God's pace is not the same as ours. It's often a lot slower than what we would like. But God's speed is about flourishing. The next week we talked about, week four, we talked about identity and names. We wore name tags. Those are going to show up again, by the way. I got a lot of good remarks about those, that you appreciated those name tags. So those are going to make an appearance again. I think it's helpful every now and then to, to see the names. But we talked about names and identity because behind every name is a face, is a person whom God sees, who God created, who God loves. This, the past week, the last week, uh, we talked about stability and being here. We talked about how no man is an island, that we truly, desperately need community. And so this week, we're ending with mission. 
We're ending with mission and, and kind of talking about what it looks like to be a missional people. And this is just one little aspect of what it means to be a missional people. And we're going to kind of circle back around to these themes that you've seen and heard each week. And by the way, that's intentional. It's so that you can kind of hold on to these themes and not so easily lose sight of them, that, that repeating them, reiterating them, hopefully has, has done something, has helped to plant these themes that are so important into your hearts. And, and this week in particular, we're, we're circling back around to one of my favorite concepts from the Godspeed series, and that is this concept of unearthing holiness, as Eugene Peterson would put it, and we'll, we'll get back to that in a moment. But I want to take you on a, on a little journey. Uh, we do this often, and I think it's important because it's showing us the consistency of God. We've talked about how God's not changing, right? He's, he's always the same. He doesn't change. He doesn't sway one way or the other. He is a God who is righteous and sovereign. He doesn't change. And we see that throughout Scripture, and so if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, just you know, have it in your mind, that if you were to go back and, and read in Genesis chapter 1, of course we know that is the story of creation, right? And we go back to Genesis a lot because it's, it's to remind us of this is what God intended for things to look like. It's healthy to go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and, and to see that this is how God created us. This is the ways God created us and what God created us for and what it was always supposed to look like. It's good to remind ourselves of that. And when you go back, and if you were reading in Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 30, you would read what many call, uh, many call this the creation mandate. And in, in the creation mandate, you read that God is instructing mankind, he's instructing his creation to be fruitful, right? To increase in number, to fill the earth, to steward it, to take care of it. And he kind of goes on to kind of intentionally talk about, you know, Lord over the, the fish and the birds and the plants, and this is how you are to care. But what we see is God is showing us what it looks like to steward creation, right? He invites us to, to partner in stewarding creation to help creation to flourish. And this is what it looks like for God's people to faithfully uh, live into this design. And what we see in the creation story, in the creation mandate, if that's what you want to call it, that God does not need to work in and through us. Do you know that? God doesn't need to work in and through us. God did not need our help. If you read the creation story, you've read it many times. We did nothing, right? God is the one who created us. God breathed life into us. We contributed in, in no way to creation. God is, is the creator of all, the creator of us, and yet he creates us, he looks at us, he calls us good, and he invites us to participate in caring for his creation. He doesn't have to work in and through us, but he chooses to. He chooses to work in us and through us and with us. And what we see very quickly is that, that we choose another way. We deviate, right? Adam and Eve, sin enters in. They choose to disobey. Things go awry. Adam and Eve are exiled from the garden. And we see that, that things quickly go in the opposite direction. Things quickly take a turn. It was not what God intended. And yet... 
you continue to read and you don't get very far before you realize that God, even though we choose a different way, a different path, we choose other gods, if you will, God is still willing to work in us and through us and with us. It's actually really interesting if you think about it, that you're reading the story of these people who represent us, by the way, because we are them, right? We, we fall short. We can easily read scripture and scrutinize people who, who went the, the wrong way, who strayed from God, but we are them. We do that in our own way. And yet it's amazing to see how God faithfully and lovingly still works in, through, and with humanity. He doesn't have to. He certainly doesn't need to. I'm inclined to say we make things a lot more difficult, but he still chooses to work in, through, and with us. And so as the story goes on, you see how God works in, through, and with the nation of Israel, right? Starting with Abraham, this man who who God found to be faithful. Starting with Abraham, he builds a nation and he works in and through and with Israel. They are called to be a set-apart nation. They are called to, to be a nation that lives in such a way that other nations look at them and they see what is different about them, what, what is so unique about them, and, and everything about the way that they live ought to point the other nations to God, right? We see that God continues to work in, through, and with humanity, In the Gospels, Jesus, he calls a group of ragtag disciples to follow him. These men and and women whose lives are, are turned upside down, who in many ways have nothing to offer. And yet Jesus calls them to follow him and teaches them what it looks like to live like he does. He doesn't have to use them, but he chooses to call them. He chooses to work in and through and with them. And then we see before Jesus ascends to the throne, he calls all of us. He commissions us, if you will, calls all of us to to continue going, to continue to point the world to Christ, to faithfully show up and show the world who Jesus is and how we live and how we love. God doesn't have to use us. He chooses to use us. He's invited you, each and every one of you, not a few of you, not just me and those who come up and do things on this platform, not just those who teach Sunday school classes and and who volunteer in preschool and Kid City classes, but he's invited all of you to be on mission with him. He has invited you and called all of you to participate in some way, not to just show up and receive, not to just show up and consume and critique when when things don't go the way you prefer. He calls you to participate, to join in the work that he's already doing, that he has long been doing. He's inviting you to participate. He's invited us to be on mission. And as we've talked throughout this whole series, we join that mission by being present before God, first and foremost, right? Open to God. God, what are you wanting to say to me? Here I am, God. And then being present to each other. Ooh, perfect timing because we're going to switch slides and that'll draw your attention to the slide. 
I love how Matt Canlis, I'm just going to keep on going, by the way. I love how Matt Canlis uh, says about our mission. He says, uh, oh, that's what I said. The mission, we join the mission by being present to God and to others. But I love how Matt Canlis, he clarifies, right? There is no confusion here. The mission is God's from beginning to end. It's always been God's mission from beginning to end. And it's our unique calling to join him in this redemptive work of loving the world. Friends, you have a calling. You have a calling. You matter. The church needs you. You don't get to say, I'm, I'm just not the, the person that, that you want. I'm not the person that God wants. I'm not good enough. I'm not equipped enough. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. None of you is excluded. You are all called to participate, to join God in this redeeming work of loving the world. To be clear, we're not the ones doing the redeeming, just so we're clear, but we are participating in the redemptive work of God in and through loving the world. But I wonder, is it possible that we are skeptical at times of the ways that God is moving and working in the world? Be honest. I wonder if you're skeptical at times of of how the church is participating in this redeeming and this uh, in the work that God is doing of loving the world. Are you skeptical of how other people, other Christians, other leaders within the church, are you skeptical of how they are participating in this redemptive work? Have we maybe at times lost sight of who God is, of who Christ is? The Jesus that we see in the Gospels rather than this man-made Jesus that we tend to find at times? Is it possible that, that some of us can say, I've lost a little bit of hope? I look around at the world and I look at the church and I just, I'm losing hope quickly. Maybe some of you might say that. Is it possible that, that you look around and you just think, well, things are just too bad. Things are just getting out of hand, and, and I just don't see how God can still be working in and through this mess of a world. And sometimes in our skepticism, in our losing sight, losing hope, we tend to, as we've talked about throughout this series, hide from God. We hide from each other, and we certainly hide from the world. It's easy to do. But as we go back to the New Testament, and as we look at how, remember I said that God chose to work in and through the nation of Israel. You see, in our passage today, we're going to look at Jeremiah 29 in just a few moments. And in this passage, the nation of Israel is finding it particularly difficult, perhaps, to be present before God and present before others. Because in our passage today, you may recognize Jeremiah 29, one of the most popular verses among Christians is Jeremiah 29, 11. I bet you can all quote it. It's not on the screen, right? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope and a future, plans not to harm you. I got that all out of order, but you get the gist. We love that verse. We put it on pillowcases, graduation cards. We love that verse, and that's fine. 
But I do wonder if sometimes we've lost sight of the context in which that verse is situated, because the context, the context rather, of Jeremiah 29 is a, a people of God, the nation of Israel, walking through a long, dry, discouraging, to say the least, season of exile. They have just been forced from their home to walk 900 miles to a foreign city. Not just any foreign city, but Babylon of all places. A place that represents everything they hate and fear as a nation. Everything that they hate and fear is is represented in Babylon. And perhaps what makes all of this even worse is that while they're there, they receive words from other prophets who say, don't worry, it's just going to be two years. In two years, you'll get to go back home. And then Jeremiah, the prophet whom God has called, brings them a word. It's like, actually, no, it's going to be 70 years, 70 years of being here in this place, and then God will take you back home. God will carry you out of exile. And so this is what Jeremiah is telling God's people to do during this time. He has already bursted their bubble saying, no, it's going to be 70 long years, but here's how you ought to live during that time. So take this opportunity, stand if you're able. I invite you to stand. And we're going to read through this this passage, Jeremiah chapter chapter 29, starting with verse 4. This is the word of Jeremiah. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. For 70 years, I inserted that, build houses and settle down. For 70 years, plant gardens and eat what they produce. For 70 years, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. For 70 years, increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, for 70 years, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. That is key, friends. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is the word of God for the people of God. Are you thankful? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. See, I find it very interesting. This is the first time I've ever noticed this that this sounds very similar to the original or to the, what we call the creation mandate. Did you notice the themes there? You look at the creation mandate, or in other words, this is kind of the, the missional way that God has called you to, to be his people in this world that he has placed you in. And, and in this passage, it sounds very similar to what we read in Genesis chapter 1. There's this language of being fruitful, of increasing in number, right? And, and that can mean and, and doesn't mean certain things. That's another sermon for another time. But, but what it definitely means is don't waste away because of how discouraged you are, right? Like don't refrain from reproducing and, and being fruitful because of how discouraged you are, right? Because that's part of what it looks like to flourish. And he uses this language, increase in number. There's this clear language of stewardship. Yes, it, it's changed somewhat, of course, 
right? Plant gardens, build houses. There's this language of, of stewardship. Here's how you ought to live in this place where I have carried you. There is this, this, this language to seek prosperity. Can you imagine? I mean, I got to do a lot of work to get you to where, to understand how Israel really felt about Babylon. But can you imagine, just based on the teeny tiny bit of information I've given you, Babylon represents everything you hate and you fear as a person, as a people of God. And you have just been told to seek and to work for the prosperity of Babylon. Can you imagine? That's okay to scratch your head and say, what, God, what are you saying? Do you, what are you doing? That is profound. You need to let that sink in for a moment. You know, on one hand, it doesn't help that on one hand you have one prophet who's like, get ready to leave. This isn't going to last very long. It's fine. It's just a few short years. And then on the other hand, you have Jeremiah who's saying, get ready to get comfortable, to settle down, and get ready to flourish. You're going to be here for a little while. Here's how you can steward your time well. Right? Rather than hiding until it's over, despairing, wasting away, rather than looking for the quickest way out, the people of God are told to promote the welfare of the city where they have been carried into exile. And so we see that rather than finding a way out, the people of God are encouraged to settle in. Don't look for the quickest escape. Don't look for the quickest way out. But you're encouraged to settle in, get cozy, and find ways to work and to promote flourishing right here where you are. This is where God has placed you. This is where God has brought you. Work to make this place flourish as God sustains you and strengthens you. I think it's important also to keep in mind that the people of God were not called to live like Babylon. Okay, so make that distinction in your mind. God doesn't say, go ahead and blend in, right? Go ahead and adopt their practices and adopt their ways and, and do all the things that they're doing, right? God doesn't say that. They are still called to be God's set-apart holy people. This is the nation of Israel. They were called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and they are still called to be those people, but here in Babylon, and I think this is where it's helpful to remind ourselves that the nation of Israel didn't just wander into exile, that this is the result of, of continuous sin, right? That, that God's people were not flourishing and looking like God's people in Jerusalem, in their home where they were comfortable, where they, where they were familiar with everything. This is where God called you. This is where God is using you. This is where God is, right? This is where the temple is. They were failing to live as God's people even there. They were failing to, to live as God's set-apart holy people. They were worshiping other gods. They were entirely neglecting care for orphans and widows and the immigrants. And in, oft, in many cases, they were taking advantage of them. This is the complete opposite of how God has called his people to live. And so now, here they are, in exile, in Babylon, acknowledging the reality of their sin, and yet God is saying, I'm still going to work, to choose to work in and through and with you, even here in the most impossible of places, Babylon. Are you with me? 
I'm not confident that you are. <laughs> uh, we really miss Larry. Larry Smithmeyer would have given me a good vocal amen right there that he was with me. So Les, you be sure to relay that message, Mike. Relay that message to Larry, will ya? We miss that, that vocal support. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're likely putting it together by now, though. Right? You likely see where this is. This is a very predictable sermon, by the way. We'll just go ahead and acknowledge that. You likely see that there are so many strong implications for us today as we look at this passage. Now, you know it's important to me that I don't ever want to be like, we're the nation of Israel, right? Because we're not. We are not. We can't put ourselves in their shoes. Not everything that we are, in fact, I'd maybe argue and dare to say that nothing we're facing is the same. We're in very different contexts. We are the ones who have been grafted in. We cannot assume the position of Israel, right? That's not fair. We are different. We're not the same. Our stories are different. And yet, it's kind of one of those both and things, and yet we can also look at this story knowing the context, knowing what has brought them here and what God has called them to do while they are there. We can look at this passage in this moment and acknowledge that there are times where we feel like we are culturally exiled, that we no longer recognize this place where we are. That we look around at our society, at our culture, we look around at the cultural landscape and we feel homeless. We say that lightly, right? We feel like we don't belong here. We look around and we just think everything is so different. I don't know how to even live and flourish in this place. We use a lot of different terms and phrases to acknowledge this reality for the church, for Christians. We use phrases like post-Christian context, right? We live live in this post-Christian context. Society is not favorable towards Christians anymore. In other words, people don't see us as as, as the the way that we are most likely to follow, right? And and so we acknowledge that we live in a post-Christian context. You, You hear this, we say we live in such a pluralistic society. There is no one truth. There are lots of truths. Truth is relative, right? We live in that time. We can see how many, perhaps most of our neighbors people we interact with on a daily basis want nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with the Christian church, nothing to do with God. And many Christians, because of this, we look around. We look around at this place that we are in and we feel defeated, maybe even hopeless as we acknowledge the cultural landscape. And this is where I really appreciate how the timing of things is, is just so incredible sometimes. Maybe it's a coincidence, but last week at District Assembly, we heard a, a really helpful and encouraging and little intimidating word from General Superintendent Dr. David Busick, and I just was soaking up every word that he said, and I could in no way communicate the, 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 the overall meaning of his message in, in a way that's the most helpful. You'd have to go and listen to it. If you're interested, I can show you where to find it. But I was, I was hooked by the title. Like, I'll just give you a brief recap and how it really fits in with where I was headed for this day and the ending of this series. It's just so helpful. But the title of his message was, uh, We Are a Missional People 
It's not 1964 anymore. And I was hooked by the title. I was like, oh, yes, okay, I am all ears. Immediately I knew he was going to put a specific language to the feeling that we all have, that things have changed in such a way that we don't recognize this place anymore. And through that, that sermon, he uh, the general superintendents lean on missiologists that, that they have recruited to help them to better understand our current cultural context, both in the U.S. and around the world. But specifically, he's speaking to U.S. Uh, Nazarenes, to U.S. Christians. And so this is kind of the combined, this is the, the result of a combined effort of different missiologists that they have uh, sat and, and learned under. But he, he talked a lot about how in 19, he just used that year, that was the year he was born, and he used this year of 1964, and how in 1964, it was, there was a lot of chaos. It wasn't all romantic and, and perfect and beautiful, right? And he acknowledged that. But, but overall, broadly speaking, most people in America in 1964 believed in the authority of the Bible, and in the authority of Christ, not everyone, there's always exceptions, right? But overall speaking, generally speaking, 1964, Christians were not favored. Christians were favored. They weren't completely rejected altogether. There was, you had people's attention, right? There was, there, people were interested in coming. There was kind of this cultural conviction, he says, there was this cultural conviction that, that even if people didn't know Jesus, they, they kind of looked at the society and the context, and, and it didn't take them long to get there because there was this built-in cultural moral conviction. And he talks about how, how on a spiritual readiness scale, and I just kind of recreated something similar to what he showed, but he said if you were to look on a scale, and if you were to gauge the average uh, a place of a, of a person in 1964 on a spiritual readiness scale, like how ready were they to, to receive Christ and the message of the gospel that most people in 1964 were somewhere around an eight. That because of the, the landscape of our culture, of our society, of, of where we were in terms of morality, that most people were somewhere around an eight, and so when they were presented with the gospel, when they were presented with, with the good news, with the invitation, if you will, they didn't have far to go. They were pretty accepting and well-receiving of, of what you were telling them. And so because of that, you saw all of these strategies that the church used that were very effective in 1964. You had um, door-to-door ministries, right? This is a favorite among Christians, and we still want to bring this back, the door-to-door ministry where you just knocked on people's doors and they invited you in. I'm still struggling to imagine a world where I go knock on a stranger's door and I'm welcomed into their house. I don't, I don't, total honesty, I don't even feel welcome to a lot of people who I know well into their home, let alone a stranger. But in 1964, most people were willing to have you show up on their doorstep, they'd answer the door, and you could come in and tell them about Jesus and they'd probably hear you out. They'd probably be somewhat interested. He talks about how in 1964, bus ministries were very, were highly supported and highly effective, and I still see really fruitful bus ministries today. I still think that that's, that's something that the church uh, still does and still effective, certainly, but it was, uh, you saw it kind of on another level, that most parents were totally willing to send their kids in a church van of strangers. Again, I'm like, ah! 
what? <laughs> okay. And, and you just saw that as a thing, right? That was a normal thing. He talked about how revivals in 1964, when churches held revivals, they would go on for days and people just kept coming. I, I held a, I called it a revival, but it was not the typical revival at our last church. And it was all we could do to get people to come for three nights, <laughs> right? And it was, what we were talking about was really good. It, again, it wasn't traditional revival, but it was a way of, of seeking to be revived in the Lord. But again, like people barely came for three days, but you saw this, that there was again, this built-in sense of, of conviction. So there was this cooperation and people came. Sunday night ministries were booming because the people who didn't want to get up and go to church Sunday morning, they would feel that conviction, that, that sense of conviction, and they would show up to Sunday night services. They came. That was effective during that time. And I loved and appreciated how he talks about on this scale, when you're at an eight, most people don't have very far to go. And so your strategies in that time were very effective. And it's no surprise to you that I say that things are not the same today, right? It was no surprise to me as I sat on the front row, by the way, just take note, fellow Nazarenes, (laughs) Nothing was getting in the way of me in that message. It was just so compelling. But, but he, he, it was no surprise to me when he would say, obviously things are different today. And, and missiologists would say that, some, that, that most people today on that spiritual readiness scale, most people are at a three. And, and when you hear that, it just doesn't take a, a missiologist to tell, to tell you or a general superintendent or a pastor that three to an eight is kind of a long way to go on a spiritual readiness scale. And that we cannot do the same things we did in 1964 when most people were at a spiritual readiness of eight. Are you following me? Do you see why it just doesn't work anymore? Because our culture is in a very different place. And the things that were effective in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s are not going to be as effective today. You can have whatever feelings you want about that. It's the reality. Do we like it? Probably not. Most of you don't. Is it frustrating? Is it discouraging that that once we knew what to do and now we just overall feel like we're struggling to know how to effectively reach people? Yes, it's very frustrating. But we have to acknowledge that things have changed and, and sometimes we just celebrate that a person gets from a three to a four, that they are that much closer to, to receiving and accepting Christ. But what's not going to work? And that's a whole, again, I, I know, I'm aware of what I've just done today, and it's putting kind of two messages into one. But man, I really felt like that's, that was so important to share with the local church who we, we struggle with these very concepts, these very things. We could pray, because that's where we have to start, by praying about what to do about this, that this is where we find ourselves. Now what, uh, what are we to do with that? We pray, we prayerfully discern the move of the Spirit and acknowledge like here may be what the Spirit is calling us to do, but what we don't do, church, here's the thing that I really want you to hear. 
What we don't do is look at the cultural landscape, look at our current context and say, well, it, it was great while it lasted, but now the world's just going to continue to go to hell in a handbasket and we're all going to watch it burn, right? Like, I don't think anyone's actually doing that here, but, but that's not the posture we are to take. The posture we are not to take is one that secludes ourselves from the rest of the world, right? Rather than hunkering down and secluding ourselves and waiting for the world to go to hell in a handbasket, we are called to take the posture of hope. If God is who we say he is, a God who never stops moving, a God who never stops working, a God who is not limited to the Western cultural context in 2023, right? I believe our God is bigger than than our current cultural context. Don't we believe that God is enough to reach the world where we are and God can use his people to reach the world where we are, where God has placed us? Do we have hope? Again, I, I ask you, are you here because you're here on a Sunday at 1030? That's what you do. Or are you here because you genuinely have hope? that God is not done, that the church is not dying, that the church is not dead, although many might look at the church and say, it's dead. (laughs) We're here to proclaim that, that God is still doing a new thing, that God is still moving in and through us, that God is still willing to work in and through and with humanity. And therefore, and I love that Dr. Busick shared this, that rather than having a posture that says, look what the world is coming to, and we throw up our hands and go home, we can stand in the hope of Christ Jesus, who is Lord over all, and instead declare, look what's coming into the world. There's hope. There's good news. There is still new life to be discovered. God is still working to to draw others toward him. It doesn't look the way it did in 1964, but he's not done yet. And if we really believe that, if we really believe that, then that ought to be clear in how we posture ourselves, how we speak, how we don't you know, quickly come up with something condemning and, and something that's negative and more fear-based rather than hope-based. I know, this is a long one today. I'm, <laughs> this is what happens when you go two weeks without preaching. I say it every time. But I really, really did appreciate as I was thinking about all of this this week, and as I'm thinking about the tension of, we're not Israel in exile, but we can understand that, that, that we feel some of those things, those tensions, even today in our context. And I think there is something to be said about us experiencing an exile of our own making, right? Because remember, exile for Israel was the result of sin, the result of this continuous sin of, of, of choosing other things over God and not looking like the people of God. And we kind of do that ourselves in our own way, right? We, we embrace an exile of our own making. And it's important for you to know that even after the Israelites returned home from Babylon, those 70 long years, they, they go home, many of them choose not to, you should know that, many of them choose to stay in Babylon. 
But when they do go home, there's this strange thing that happens where they look around and and they don't totally feel at home. Things are not the same. And I think it was not what they thought it would be. There was still this sense, this desire, this longing for more. There was still the reality of sin and disobedience and, and choosing other gods and choosing the things of this world. And that always led to an exile of sorts that caused the people of God to feel as though there was something missing or not home. And I appreciated how Tim Mackey with the Bible Project acknowledges that there is this sense in which exile is simply the human condition, that we never fully escape it. And if we do, it's not for long. It's not too long before we just embrace another exile of sorts. We repeat the patterns that lead to the Babylon of sorts. And it always leaves us longing for something better, for something more. Are you longing for something better, for something more? Do you have a deep desire for something more fulfilling, something more hopeful, something that... that gives you hope in a world that is increasingly growing increasingly hopeless. Friends, until Christ returns, we are going to continue longing for wholeness, for reconciliation, for shalom. We are in the middle of that already and not yet, but, and I won't go into that again, but it's important for us to acknowledge that instead of hiding Instead of secluding ourselves, yes, we long for for that wholeness, that completion when Christ comes again, but rather than secluding ourselves and shutting ourselves out from the world that's, that's burning more and more each day, we believe that we are called to go into the world and to seek flourishing and prosperity right here where God has placed us. And so I think then the call for the nation of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 29, we can receive from God that he is calling us to build houses, if you will, to plant ourselves here and to seek the prosperity of those around us. But in order to do that, as we've talked about throughout this whole series, we have to be willing to be present before God and be present before one another. And we faithfully continue to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we love our neighbor as ourselves, as we live and love like Jesus, as we continuously point others to Jesus and we celebrate the ways that they are moving down the scale, even if it's slow, even if it seems small. And so as we close this morning, I want to challenge us to continue to show up before God each and every day, trusting, believing, and knowing that God is working in all things and that God is continuing to do more than we could even imagine. And this is where, as we close, I want to pull this quote back in because it's so hopeful and beautiful to me that Eugene Peterson says, That if God is who he says he is, and if we believe what we say we believe about God, then there is no place, no place on this planet and beyond, apparently. (laughs) If you know, you know. Okay, no, moving on. All right. There is no place without the potential for unearthing holiness. 
There is nowhere that God can't or won't move. Our goal is not to plan our escape. I'm going to invite the praise team to come. Our goal is not to plan our escape. Our goal is to open up ourselves to the ever-present and ever-flowing movement of the Spirit of God as we anticipate the ways in which God continues to make all things new. As God continues to take something messy and turn it into something beautiful. Because, friends, it's going to be messy. When you go to unearth holiness, I don't know why, but when I picture, like, sometimes when I read phrases or words, I don't just read words. I, I picture something. I know a lot of people probably, but I can't explain the way it happens. It feels a little weird. But, but I imagine, like, someone digging in the dirt, right? When I think of unearthing holiness, it sounds very earthy to me. Digging in the dirt, like getting down in there and, and bringing up that, that fresh soil, like bringing it to the surface. It's new. There's possibility for growth. Maybe it's because I've been spending a lot of time in the garden lately. That's probably why. Because my fingers get really dirty. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Nicole, just wear your gardening gloves. But I have yet to buy gardening gloves. I keep meaning to and I don't. And so I go out there and I'm digging in the dirt and it's just really earthy. It gets really dirty. It's really messy. But friends, it's going to be messy. We're messy. Welcome. I'm messy. You're messy. What God is doing in and through us has the potential to be something beautiful, however. We're going to sing this song. I love this song, and I love that this song was chosen weeks ago because that's just the way God works. And So when I saw that this was always the closing song for today, I just said, you just don't know how perfect that is. Friends, if if God can continue to unearth holiness in us, as we've seen all throughout Scripture, from the beginning of time, then he can continue to unearth holiness in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, the local coffee shops, the grocery store, the gym, everywhere. God is doing a new thing. And he invites us to participate in this unearthing. God is unearthing holiness in us, and he is inviting us. He doesn't need us, but he's inviting us to unearth holiness all around. And so, God, we come before you in this moment of response and reflection, and we open ourselves up. And I want to leave us with this question God, where are you calling us right here and right now to unearth holiness? As we think about our current context, where we live, where we work, where we go to school, what we do every day, as we imagine names and faces of people who we interact with on a regular basis, God, I I challenge you, I invite you to, to, to challenge us to think of those places and those people and to ask you, Holy Spirit, how can we participate in the unearthing, in the making of all things beautiful, which you, Lord, are doing. Amen. Amen. You can stand with us if you're able. We're going to sing this together. I think the key as we come to worship is flipping that idea on its head that the mess is in us. That's where empathy comes from, right? Just acknowledging that we are messy too. 
we are broken too. There's nothing out there in the world that's foreign from what we are, what our true self was before Jesus came in. And finding that place of humility, that's where we find empathy and that's where we find peace because we're resting in the righteousness of God and it helps us to reach out to others. So I just pray that as we sing these words, we reflect internally on ourselves, who we are, who God is, what he has done for us, and that as we sing, we believe these words, that it is God who brings beauty from the ashes, and there is beauty to be found in the mess. So if you're a mess this morning, as I am, I started this morning dumping an entire cup of coffee on myself, that really happened. So just feel welcome in this place. You're not alone. And the Spirit is here. Let's sing this together.
that you are reviving us and filling us now. God, I thank you for the imagination that you have given us and that you are continuing to give us here and now to look around at our current culture, to look around at our current context that's different for all of us. God, you are giving us or, or re-giving us, if you will, an imagination to look around and rather than see what is hopeless, rather than see what it's all coming to with hope-filled hearts, with, with missional hearts that are driven to love like you love and to serve like you serve, we can look at this world, we can look at our culture, we can look at our current context and we can say, look what's coming into the world. New life is bursting forth. Plants are being planted Seeds are growing, they're being nurtured, they're being watered, and it takes time, and it's messy, and storms come, and things fall over. But God, the sun always shines again. The dawn always comes. Your mercies are new every morning, and there is endless growth and life to be experienced. But God, may we, as the church, as your people, God, may we be able to truly believe that and to live that out before you and before others. It's only through your strength. God, would you, as we posture ourselves, as we humble ourselves, 
as we bow and kneel before you, acknowledging just how weak and weary we are and just how much in need of your strength we are, God, would you continue to reignite our imaginations and help us to see how you are calling us to be the church, the people of God here in this place. Would you help us to steward this ministry well? Would you help us to steward our communities and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools well? May we love first and foremost God, when others see us, may they see you. And God, whatever it is that you may be doing here in our hearts for the very first time, may we be open. May we be obedient. May we come alongside one another and continue to encourage and uplift each other. And remind us of Christ's love that is ever present in our midst. God, we pray these things only in your name, in the name of Jesus, who is able, who is with us, who is working all things in and through us. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Friends, linger. You don't have to rush out. Your lunch is still going to be there. Go if you must, but linger. Linger in the presence of God. Linger in whatever it is that God is doing. Don't miss it. Don't rush past it. I may feel a little bit, I don't know, but I, I feel hopeful that God is doing something new. I felt it from before I came and, and as I'm preaching and I'm saying all these things that weren't in my notes and I'm just, I feel, I sense that God is strongly speaking to all of us. Don't leave, don't rush without acknowledging all that God is doing. And when you go, friends, may you go only in the strength and the grace and the peace of God who is with you, who goes before you, who makes a way for you to be present before him and before others. Know that you don't go alone and you are profoundly and deeply loved. You are dismissed. Have a beautiful day.